Well, good morning, everyone. It is so awesome to be able to be here with you again today. As you've already heard, uh, uh, just in our time of worship, I just felt there was such a great presence of God here today. But we just had such a great time uh, being down at the uh, Let Us Worship gathering. I, I, I just saw a post. There was over 4,000 people that were worshiping together from all different denominations, church. Yeah, yeah you can give a hand for that. God is doing something, and I want to encourage you when you see some of those things come up to uh, see if you can be a part of it. It is something to see what God can do when we join together in unity. And again, I'm looking forward next week to Team Train, and again, if you are a current volunteer, we look forward to seeing you, uh, joining with you, encouraging you, uh, strengthening you, giving you vision for what's going to happen for this coming year, as well as for those who aren't uh, a part of our volunteer team, we're saying, come on, let's, let's do it. Let's get involved. Let's jump in there. Let's everybody do something. Can I hear an amen for that? I believe this, that we're looking for builders, which is part of our series today. I want to start our series today. Oh, I got to also say this, that uh, I know last week I made an announcement that Kingdom Builders was going to be this Friday, the 15th. Uh, it uh, actually already happened on the 8th. Uh, but we're going to have Alan Huntsberger coming with us for those of you that were planning to see him on October the 13th. And so uh, it's going to be an awesome time to join with him. But I want to say that today our new series is called Be a Builder. And uh, one of the things as I was thinking about being a builder, I, I thought about being a parent. Uh, being a parent, one of the things we get to do is... Peter was talking about for this class as we get to build up our kids to become more like Jesus. And one of the privileges of being a parent is that you've been entrusted to help them grow and develop. However, there are a few challenges that even if you were told about them, you could not prepare for it. Right? Parenting is a, is a challenging job, like lack of sleep, um, the amount of poos you'll, and peas you'll need to deal with in the course of a day, it's a lot. And no matter how well you plan for things like a, a grocery trip or uh, going to church or even coffee with a friend, it will be sabotaged by a poop, a permanent marker, or a tantrum. You just know there's things that you can't be prepared for. Now, I remember this for me as I was raising my kids. They're both young adults now. Um, that the thing that I wasn't prepared for, this was my unprepared revelation of small children, that especially toddlers, toddlers is that they can become fixated on one show that they like to watch or one song that they like to hear, and they want it to be played over and over and over again. Who here knows what I'm talking about? You'd give me an amen for that too. And to be fair, every generation has had their own version of annoying kids' music and videos. I just think it's become progressively worse. Or maybe it's because I'm just getting older. I don't know. From Teletubbies to Yo Gabba Gabba. The Wiggles. How about the Baby Shark song? Oh, my. Oh, did I just hit some sacred ground? I'm not going to touch VeggieTales. That is a sacred cow in church circles. But how about Barney? Oh, my goodness. I love you, you love me, I will annoy your family. That's about what it was. Now for my daughter, it was Blue's Clues, that was her thing. But for my son, it was Bob the Builder. 
And what I remember about Bob the Builder, as Isaac would say, Bob the Builder, um, was that he'd play the same episode over and over and over again. And so I had the theme phrase, the theme comment, burned indelibly into my brain. And it was this. It was this. Can we build it? Yes, we can. That was Bob the Builder. Well, today as we start our new series called Be a Builder, my question is, can we build it? Yes, Yes, we can. You see, believers, I believe this, are builders. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be a builder. Now, being a builder is an essential part of God's purpose and design for our lives. We are called not only to build our house or our home. You know, we think about construction, homes and houses. But we're called to build up people together in a community called the church. Psalms 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. Now here's my thing. Whether you are building a new home or doing renovations, the best you, you want the best builder you can find for the job. Isn't that true? Very rarely do I hear somebody go, you know what, I just, uh, I just want the average guy. I want the guy that just, you know, they maybe just barely passed what they're doing. They're, they're just so, so I remember when Jan and I purchased our first house, we had an unfinished basement. We just didn't have the money to finish it at the time. And so our, our, our plan was is that as we, we, we had resources and we gained income, we would develop our basement. And so we were going to do it at a pace we could afford without going into debt. That was our goal. Well, after 10 years, we had arrived at a point where the drywall had been hung, but the taping and mudding and the painting and the the flooring still needed to be completed. And because we decided that it would not be in our best interest to continue, uh, or I decided that it would not be in my best interest to, uh, to continue to drive my wife crazy by waiting another 10 years, we decided to dig into our savings and finish the project by hiring a renovation contractor. Contractor, And here's where it gets interesting. And here's where we made our first mistake. We never hired any type of contractor before. And secondly, because we had a tight budget and needed the work to be done, we decided to do it on the cheap. So we grabbed a few quotes and decided to go with the cheapest price. And to be fair, the guy was not terrible. But there were jobs that he tried to do that he did not know how to do, like installing tile flooring. It wasn't his strength. Actually, we found out we were one of the first homes that he had ever worked on. Now, at first, I thought he had done a solid job. The painting looked pretty good. It was clean. And none of the taping lines could be seen. That's, what a, that's an obvious one. However, when I went into the bathroom a week later, I stubbed my toe on the tile. I realized that instead of a smooth tile, I had a cobblestone road in my bathroom. And if you were barefoot, it was terrible. The flooring was so uneven, but because of the poor lighting, I did not see it in the final inspection. You, you know, when we went to see if we could fix it, he was not able or willing to do it. 
Remember the saying, you get what you pay for? Yeah, that's true here. You see, having a good or the right builder is important. And I want to say this today. When it comes to our lives, when it comes to the church, there is no better builder than God. You see, according to Psalms 127, verse 1, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. Now we know that a house can be of many different types. There can be sizes from mansions to bungalows to apartments and even places of worship. But the one thing they all have in common is this. They are a place for somebody to live. So here's the question I want to ask today. What kind of house is God looking to build? Or where does God want to live? Is it a physical place like a temple or a church? Or is it something more organic? Now the picture that God is presenting to us when he says, unless I build the house, it's in vain, is that I believe this, that he's looking to build something that is not necessarily a place, but of a person, a life, or of a people. You see, God likes to dwell in living and life-giving places. Can I say that? See, God looks to dwell in things that are not inanimate, not in objects, but things that are alive. And he's looking for us to build with him a place that he can dwell in. You see, your house or your home represents, first of all, your own life. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You see, when we accept Jesus into our life, when we pray that prayer and say, Jesus, will you come? What, what do we say? We say, will you come into my life? Will you come and dwell within me? Will you be, be the one who begins to rule and reign over my life? Will you change me to be more like you? You see, God wants to live in us. And to, and to dwell in us so that he can be the center of our lives. And I say this, unless our life is built on Jesus, we will continually run into problems. But God not only wants to build our lives, but he wants to build his family through us. And as you sit here today in this gathering of people, you see a church is not a building, it's not a temple, it's not made of bricks and stone, but it's of living stones, living people, living lives coming together to accomplish the purposes of God. He's looking for people who are committed to build with him. Why? Because we are his temple. You can read this in Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 19 to 23. It might come up a little bit later in this series that we are his temple. We are his building together. You see, together we are God's dwelling place, or we become God's dwelling place when we give him top priority. And unless Jesus builds the church, unless Jesus builds our community, all other efforts are wasted, according to the Bible. So here's the thing, since believers are builders, then how do we build a strong house? I want to read to you Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. And here's Jesus, he's teaching, he's actually, this is his last part of his teaching when he's on the Sermon on the Mount. He's just given a, 
a long sermon. If you go and you read Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, it's, him. It's, a, it's a big sermon that he's sharing with his disciples, with all the people that had followed him out into, the, out into where he was on the mountaintop. And here's what he says as he concludes. It. He says, anyone who listens to my teachings, teaching and follows it is wise. It's like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the weeds and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So what's Jesus saying here? What's he, what's he trying to say? What are, what are his concluding thoughts as he's speaking to people that are looking to follow him and some that are already following? He says, listen to this. Wise people build their houses on solid rock or a strong foundation. But foolish builders build their houses on sand or an unstable foundation. One of the most recognizable buildings in history is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. We've probably all seen it. We've probably all studied about it. That building is almost a century old. It was built, it was uh, started to be built in 1063 AD. And even though the Leaning Tower of Pisa stood for almost a thousand years, the reality of it is it is a symbol of architectural failure. See, the reason the tower lists, the reason the tower leans the way that it does was because the foundation was built upon a dense mixture, listen to this, of clay, sand, and seashells. And see, as the levels of the tower were being built, the weight began to expose the softness and the south side of the tower soil, and so the weight of it began to pull the tower over. Now, Historians believe this, that uh, after about a uh, building for a few hundred years, that they, a war broke out between the township of Pisa and another uh, Italian township. And so war was delayed, construction was delayed for a hundred years. They, they believe that, if, that the delay in construction actually prevented the tower from completely toppling over. See, building on a faulty foundation will eventually lead, at best, to limited successes in our life, limited moves of God in the church, but at worst, destruction. So what are some faulty foundations we need to avoid? I want to talk about two of them today. I had more, but the Lord just took me on a deeper thing here. First of all, it's the foundation of compromise. The foundation of compromise. When it comes to our lives, and I'm going to talk to us more as individuals today, and we're going to bring in, go into community as we go farther in this series. But it's important to understand that the measure of our life is based upon the sum of our decisions or choices. Sometimes I have people come to me and they're like, well, I, I don't like where I'm at. I don't like where I'm at in my life. I'm, I'm frustrated with, with, with what's going on in my world, and, and I can almost always go back to that the reality of it is, is that where somebody is today is based on decisions they made days ago, weeks ago, months ago, even years ago. Our life is the sum total of those decisions. It doesn't mean that we don't face difficulties or trials or hardship. 
And I've got to say that, that even though we, we can't control what happens to us, listen to this, this is so important, this is how God works. Even though we can't necessarily determine what we go through when it comes to difficulties or tragedies, we can always control how we respond to every situation. God gives us a choice. And I believe this, those who take responsibility with their choices and those who deal with it tend to grow and move forward. You see, our life choices will either be directed by personal conviction or by unhealthy compromise. Now, we have to understand that when I say the word compromise, it's not always a negative term. There's a difference between healthy and unhealthy compromise. Healthy compromise has to do with preferences, like what restaurant should we go to for dinner tonight? Or what paint color should we use for the living room? Who here knows that there's not absolutely a right answer? We all have different opinions. And if you're in a relationship and you're making decisions with somebody, you need to compromise. Here's one for me. Or or whether or not you should adopt a black lab or a chihuahua. I say this, I compromised. But she's wonderful. In relationships, it's important to compromise or to defer to other people's choices. But what I'm talking about when we say unhealthy compromise is a place where we exchange what we know is right, morally, biblically, spiritually, relationally, for something we know is wrong or in conflict with God's word. That's unhealthy compromise. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, compromise, listen to this, is defined as making a shameful or disreputable concession. That's some big words, but it doesn't sound very nice. What does it mean? It means trading something that is of high moral or biblical value for something that is temporary, self-serving, or dishonoring to God and his standards. It can be as subtle as telling little lies, embellishing the truth, to dabbling with sinful and lustful thoughts. It's allowing for times of gossip or unrestrained anger to control situations. It's justifying spending money when you don't have it on both essential and non-essential items. It's yielding to sex outside of marriage because it just feels right. These are compromises. See, anytime we trade convenient self Self-fulfillment or cultural worldly philosophies for biblical standards or personal convictions, we are building a foundation of compromise in our lives. And compromise inevitably leads to weakness, emptiness, and brokenness. So that when pressure really hits us, when pressure comes, when difficulties comes, we're unable to stand against it. We're just like a weed that waves in the wind and whatever the, the, the wind of feelings or emotions or thoughts, we ride it to a place of nothingness. Can I say this? It's not easy to make right choices all the time. Man, it's challenging. It's, it tests us. It tests our character. It's hard to keep from yelling at people who make us mad. Oh, man, sometimes I just... Just going to let them know. It's hard to be honest with when confronted with an embarrassing situation. 
We did something wrong. We get exposed. We, we made a mistake. And do we own it or do we, no, no, that wasn't my fault. That was somebody else's fault. No. Or to tell the truth when you know your wife is going to get upset with you. It's hard to do the right thing all of the time. But I hear, can I tell you this? That if we want to build a strong foundation, we don't want to build on the foundation of compromise. I tell you, whatever you do, when you do the right thing over and over again, you'll be able to stand through whatever storm comes your way. Here's the second faulty foundation I want to talk about. It goes in a little different direction. It's called the foundation of comfort. I believe this, to be able to live in Canada is a great blessing. Who would agree? Canada is a blessing. We're a blessed country. I know we may not agree with our government and we, we see things that we maybe don't like, but compared to the rest of the world, we're a blessed people. For the most part, we have it quite good as we have the freedom to pursue education, better jobs, a nice house, fun vacations, and even a, a cushy retirement. Nothing is wrong with any of these things as long as they don't become the main thing in our life. As long as we do not build the, the foundation of our theology on, along the lines that somehow uh, comfort defines success. I call it comfort theology. My first pastor, when I was growing up, when I became a Christian as a young teenager, called it the North American gospel. And it looked like this. If you're blessed with material things, it means that God's favor is on your life. You see, so many people sometimes look around and they look at things and they're like, man, if, I, if I'm really blessed, it means I'm going to have way more stuff. And those who have more things than I have, they're, they're, they're just more blessed than me. And so we start comparing ourselves and we're like, well, I, I need more blessing. So blessing is defined by the things that we have, the things that we can attain. Or here's one, if God is with you, you'll be relatively free from challenges, loss or suffering. And if you face challenges, they should be removed quickly with a prayer to you. Now, unfortunately, most of the key figures in the Bible would disagree with you. The way they live their lives would not follow that pattern. Who here thinks Paul was an amazing man of God in the Bible? He wrote most of the New Testament. Well, here's what his life was like. He was beaten multiple times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked twice and eventually executed for his beliefs in Jesus Christ. Good. But the Bible says God's favor was on him. Joseph, who remembers Joseph? Joseph, who ended up becoming the second in charge of the land of Egypt. Well, the reality was when he started out in his life, he was hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, imprisoned for honoring God. I mean, he did the right thing. And yet the Bible kept saying wherever he went, God's favor was on him. How about Noah? Noah, the one who built the ark. Well, we, we, we think it's, oh, that's, that's a good story. But you have to understand that when 
Noah was building his boat, which took over 100 years, he was building the boat in the middle of a landlocked area where they've never experienced rain, ever. So people mocked him, ridiculed him. And Noah, for over those hundred years, kept telling people, come on, I'm building this boat so that if you want to join me, he was, he was the first missionary on the earth. And, and, and he preached for over a hundred years, and he only had seven converts. His wife and his kids and their spouses. See, comfort theology can get us to believe things that aren't true. Comfort theology also states that if you've served God for enough years, you're entitled not only to retire from your job, but from serving or making the kingdom your first priority. I know I might be making some people uncomfortable today. That's okay. Comfort theology does not make consistent time for prayer, Bible reading, fasting, serving, or other disciplines. Because, you know, we're just so busy. We've got so many things going on. Our God will understand, and God does understand, but we, we still need to work at pushing in because we need it for our growth and our development. You see, the problem with comfort is that it can be intoxicating, making us numb to the things of God. I believe this comfort plagues the church of North America, interfering with our calling to be Jesus' disciples. And listen to this, Christian soldiers, who would think, do you know that you're called to be a soldier? Pastor Todd, I really don't like guns, and I, I think those are crazy things. No, you're called to be a soldier, brother and sister. And do you, how, do you know how I know that you're called to be soldiers? Listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, listen to this. And this is Timothy writing. Endure suffering along with me, or Paul writing to Timothy. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Who's the officer that has enlisted us? Come on, say it again. Jesus, he's called us to, to walk with him, to serve with him. There are things that need to do. You see, civ soldiers' life is different from civilian life as they're always training, as they're always on duty. They don't take time off from the things of God. And I'm just going to keep going here. There, I believe this, there are just too many flabby Christian soldiers because they've forgotten their purpose. What is our purpose? Our primary purpose is to build and extend the kingdom of God. And if we're not careful, again, I'm not saying that we can't have nice things. I'm not saying that we can't go on vacations that are great. I'm not saying that we can't enjoy the things of life even when we're in retirement. But what I am saying, that if we allow comfort to rule our lives, it will make us powerless and ineffective builders of the kingdom of God. And the remedy for comfort is to re-enlist and become a kingdom builder. Hallelujah. Oh. I love Revelations 12, 11. It says, and they overcame him who the enemy by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. I hear pastors preach that all the time and they forget that last one. 
See, flawed foundations produce broken people. I'm going to wrap things up with here. What is then a true foundation? Well, according to Matthew 7, Jesus says that the wise man builds his foundation on the solid rock. Who is the solid rock? The solid rock is Jesus and his word. You see, wise builders live their lives and the lives of those and build the lives around them on the immovable truth of the word of God. Jesus says those that are wise builders will listen to his teachings and then follow them or live them out. You see, I believe God today wants to do something in our hearts that we need to allow Jesus to move our foundation from compromise to conviction. I believe today that, there are, that maybe some of us need to realize that we need to move our foundation from conviction to calling, that God has put a call on our life, that God has put a, clo- a call on your life. There's a purpose that God has called you to do. And so here's my question as we close. What are you building today? What are you building with your life? Is it a solid foundation? Does it have eternal value? Is it based on the word of Jesus Christ? You see, you and I are going to face storms. And if you face storms, I I hate to tell you, you'll probably face another one. But what will get you through to the other side where you can be strong and unscathed is if you build your foundation on the rock of Jesus Christ and his word. You see, the storms reveal our foundations. This week we had a thunderstorm go through our area. The boom was so loud, it rattled our whole house. How are you building your life today? What type of foundation are you building? Is it on something eternal like the word of God? Are you leaning into the rock that is Jesus? Or are you allowed, allowing for compromise and comfort to weaken your foundation? Maybe you are sitting here today and you realize that there are places in your life that you feel have crumbled Maybe there's some places that have broken down. Maybe you recognize that there are some weaknesses. And I hear God by his grace and his mercy. He's saying, just offer it up to me and make a commitment to give up compromise, to live by the truth of his word or conviction. Make a commitment to say, you know what, I don't want to get intoxicated or numb by comfort by the blessings of God. I believe God's desire is to bless the whole earth through us. But we're primarily called to be soldiers in the kingdom of God. And I love this today, that Jesus is not only the master builder, but he specializes in renovations. And maybe today you're like, God... (laughs) There's just some things in my life that have been a little bit of a mess. There's some things that haven't worked out. I, I, I realize in some of the storms I haven't responded the way that I hoped to or I wanted to. And I'm just so thankful for the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. And I just believe today that God 
wants to come and remind you that he's here for you. And he wants to pour his strength into your heart. He wants to give you a renewed understanding of his love for you. But he's also asking you if you would commit yourself to building your life on his foundation. That not only are you going to allow him to build your life for your own benefit and your own strength, but that God wants to call you to be a builder, a builder of his kingdom. A builder of what he has in store for us as his people. Again, I saw yesterday thousands of broken people who came to the place of saying, Jesus, I need you. My life is broken. Will you rebuild my life? And he just says, son and daughter, I can. I can rebuild anything regardless of how broken it is.